Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and today we are speaking with Dr. Patty O'Brien Richardson. She is the CEO and founder of Move It Nation, Inc., a nonprofit organization which provides multicultural obesity prevention programs for women and girls, such as Curls on the Move. Her hair and health curriculum, which teaches adolescent girls and young women how to take care of their hair while being physically active. And Roots and Rhythms, a Caribbean and African instructor certification workout. Her programs have been taught in schools and fitness centers in New York City, Massachusetts, and New Jersey. Patty is also the author of Purge It with Patty, a nutrition, education, and recipe book. And she holds several national health and wellness certifications, as well as a BA in developmental psychology, a Master's of Science in Adolescent and Health Education, and a PhD in Urban Health from Rutgers University in Newark, New Jersey, where she teaches cultural health. So welcome, Dr. Patty O'Brien Richardson. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on your incredible show. We are so happy to have you on our podcast, Patty. So are you ready to pour into our listeners? I am. Awesome. So Patty, can you tell us a bit about your path to leadership and what you're doing now? Sure. I think for me, my path to leadership really started with serving. You know, I think when you give to people in any capacity, that sort of rises you up to be a leader because a leader looks around and sees the needs and meets those needs. And so I think the path to leadership is actually serving. And that started early on, you know, in high school, I would say. I remember being a part of different groups and organizations and not seeing something there that I felt I could really pour myself into, which I felt at the time was health-related. So luckily, the school that I went to was right across the street from a hospital, And I went there and I started to volunteer in just basic things like helping the patients get around. Those were wheelchairs, wheeling them to different parts of the hospital. And then that developed into me being the blood drive captain and, you know, getting the students involved in the blood drive that was in connection with the hospital. And then eventually that helped me get into college. When I was in college, it was sort of the same thing. So my first year of college it was great. And then I realized, wow, you could be a resident assistant and you could get your room and board for free. And I thought, oh, that's awesome. So I applied and fortunately I got in. And as an RA, it's a serving opportunity. It's a great way to just give to the freshman students or even the female students. And then, you know, you're the one that they go to for advice, for help, for toilet paper, whatever they need. Right. One of the things I noticed was I thought it would be great if these freshman girls could get mentored by the senior girls 
almost like a big sister kind of program. It would be great if they could get help and a senior woman could come to a freshman and say, you know, this is not the party you want to go to, or this is not the group you want to hang out with, or this is a great advisor for you to have. But there was nothing like that. So I decided that I should create that. And so one of the responsibilities as an RA is to create programs. And so one of my first programs was We Are Your Sisters, after a book that I read from my psychology class of the same name. And so I connected the freshman women and the senior women. And so I noticed that wherever I've gone, I've looked around for needs. And if I didn't see it there, I just created it. And only now from you asking me this question, am I really seeing that as a consistent thread and a path? Because then later I had the opportunity to go to Africa with the church that I'm a part of and to help start mission team groups and to be part of medical missions. And I really jumped at that opportunity and I was supposed to only be there for two years, but I ended up staying for 10 years. And that was a life-changing time for me. I think definitely a serving time, especially right after apartheid in South Africa, Nelson Mandela just became president and HIV AIDS was huge. One out of eight people in sub-Saharan Africa at the time was HIV positive. And so to be there and really give to people in a meaningful way was a privilege for me. I gained so much more than I think I gave. And that really led me to the path where I am now. So when I came back from South Africa, I started my own nonprofit organization called Move It Nation. And it was originally designed to keep me connected to my programs in South Africa, which involved supporting an orphanage for children that are HIV positive. There was about 100 children in the Bethany Children's Home in Amtata, South Africa. And I would go there and volunteer and encourage the caregivers. And I wanted to stay connected to that, even though I was here in America. And so it started off as a fundraising tool, bringing awareness to what was happening in Africa regarding children and AIDS and orphanages. But then when I came back, one of the things that hit me was the obesity epidemic in my hometown of Brooklyn, New York, and especially of urban centers around the country. And so I decided to enlarge my nonprofit to have the existing projects I was involved in South Africa with supporting the orphanage and helping the orphans as they grew older to prepare them for school. We would do school supply drives and send supplies down. And then I enlarged it to include obesity prevention programs for children in urban areas. And that's what I've been doing for the past 10 years. And so I'm the founder and CEO of Move It Nation. We have several programs that we provide schools, healthcare providers, and also fitness instructors with instructor certification. And we provide programs for schools for kids that are physically inactive. So it's a way of getting kids moving, and active, especially in urban areas where there are more challenges, although that is really changing. But I'm also on the faculty of Rutgers University here in New Jersey. I teach cultural health courses in the School of Nursing, although I'm not a nurse, but I teach nursing students how to look at their future patients and for some their existing patients through the lens of cultural competency and being really all things to all people, that regardless of wherever you come from or wherever your home is or how you were raised or what you've learned, 
the chances of you having a patient or a client from a different socioeconomic background, racial, ethnic background, religious background, sexual orientation are very high, especially in New York City's backyard of New Jersey. And so I teach students to look at their work serving the public through a cultural lens. And I love it. I love helping students do that. I teach undergrads and doctoral students to apply multicultural thinking to their practice. And so that is really my professional title there at Rutgers. And so those are the two projects that I'm involved in. So Move It Nation, if our listeners wanted to learn more about it, where could they do that? You go on to moveitnation.org and you can find out all of our programs. In the recent years, I've been learning how to be a researcher through my mentors and also just finishing up my PhD last year. When you get involved in the research, you see that when you look at physical inactivity and obesity prevention, the populations that are highest and most at risk are women of color, specifically African-American women, also Native American and also Hispanic women. When you look at the adolescent population, you find similar trends among Hispanic and African-American girls, but they sort of take turns with seeing who's the highest in terms of obesity. Some years it's Hispanic girls, some years it's African-American girls, but by far African-American adolescent girls, when you look at the data, they are affected by obesity and overweight more than their racial or ethnic counterparts. And so Once I realized this disparity, I decided to really devote the focus of our programming to girls that are African-American. And that is really our core focus right now. So our programs are built around helping African-American adolescent girls to be physically active in hopes of delaying obesity and overweight. I'm just listening to where you've come from and your journey, and it's quite impressive. You started volunteering at a very young age. Yeah, I think I was maybe a sophomore in high school. So what prompted you? What was it about serving people that really grabbed your heart? I think it's my family. You know, I come from an immigrant family. My parents are Trinidadian from the Caribbean. Neither one went to college. My mom was a nurse's aide. And my dad was a machinist then. And I think when you grow up in an immigrant family and you see your family struggle and they eventually, quote unquote, make it by getting solid jobs and having a home of their own, that was my parents. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I saw my mother specifically do was really figure out ways to help her siblings come to America as well. And my father throughout my life It would also send money, food, supplies, educational supplies to their country for their families. That happens to this day. And so I constantly saw this reaching back and giving back to those that may not have as much as you have. And so I think growing up in that environment really made me think, oh, this is just what we do. You know, we give back, we help people, and we think about the needs of others. And that's just what I was raised with. And it's harder now. I'm a parent too. I think it's harder 
as you or the next generation, you want things to be easier for your children. And we have so much, my children growing up in technology and opportunities are amazing. It's harder, I think, to help them to see that. But that's another conversation. But <laughs> it is an important conversation to be had. <laughs> As parents, we are the ones who influence our children, especially at a very young age. Then it's a matter of keeping that level of influence so that they can, too, serve other people and become great leaders. So thank you so much for sharing that. Now, based on what you've told me, it seems like you're a servant leader. How would you describe your leadership style? I would say that. Mm -hmm. I would say that I'm a servant leader. The thing about servant leaders, they may not be affluent, but they love what they do. And that's me, you know, like I may never have the mansion that I would love to have one day, but I feel so full of joy and happiness. My life is so full by giving and by serving. And I'd much rather have that. I'd much rather do that. And I love to surround myself with people who are the same way. So yes, I would describe that. That's my leadership style. Well, I've come across a couple of affluent servant leaders, so there's hope. Okay, that's <laughs> encouraging. <laughs> yes, Patty, there's hope for us. <laughs> so Patty, can you tell me which quote or quotes about leadership speak to you and why? Well, one of them, actually, I have it tattooed on my right hand. It's actually from the Bible, mm-hmm. and it's Philippians 4.13, and it says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. For me, I have three tattoos, you know, maybe that's too much information, but. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm interested in this one. What made you get a tattoo of Philippians 4.13? Well, the other two tattoos are in my back, so I can't see them, you know. Mm -hmm. I remember when I decided to get this tattoo, I said, I want it to be somewhere where I can see this every day, every single day so that I can be reminded Yes, I can do it. I can do it. You just need to go and do it. And what made me get this was because after 10 years of marriage, my marriage actually dissolved for many different reasons on mutual parts. And I found myself a single mom of four children and three of them are triplets. The triplets were five years old. They had just started kindergarten. Now they are finishing up their first year of high school. And I just really refuse to be what I saw at that time as a single mom statistic. Mm-hmm. I really felt like, you know, I have dreams and I have goals and I have dreams and goals for my children. Mm-hmm. And I want them to see those dreams fulfilled. And so it was a difficult ride. But at the time, I actually had just opened up my own fitness studio. I had a studio in Quincy, Massachusetts. It was called Move It Studio. And I had a staff of 12 and business was good. I was able to support myself, my kids, my extended family on my own. And it was really going well. But I think once I went through the divorce, what I realized was, you know, I need my family support. Because although we had very close friends that were family, all of my friends had at least three kids. So I felt like, you know, they were incredibly supportive, but I felt like, you know, I need my family. I have parents that have retired. They're just sitting at home. I need to have my aunties. I need my parents. So I ended up packing up my studio 
and you know, really taking all of my programs that I was doing in the Boston schools, because at that time we were in about 20 schools in the Boston public schools, my childhood obesity curriculum. So I had a school programs going and I also had a studio with instructors. So I wrapped up all of my programs under my nonprofit. And because the nonprofit, you can have it nationally. It's a federal entity. And so I decided to move back home to Brooklyn, New York, so that my parents and my aunts and my cousins could be part of this stage of my life. I really needed that so much. And so while I was there, I continued to do my programs in the New York City schools. And as I was going through my time of healing, I also applied to get my master's in education. I was able to get a scholarship for that. And then I've always had a dream of getting my PhD. And I really didn't know how it would happen. You know, I had been out of college for many years and I really felt like my brain is full of cobwebs. Like it's going to take me forever to pass the GRE and to get into a grad program. Mm -hmm. But I felt my kids were a great motivation for me. My dream to get my PhD was always there. I just, you know, you put your children first, you put other things first. And I never lost sight of, I wanted to go back and do it. And I remember, you know, prayer is a big part of who I am. And I remember praying, I was like, God, you know, I believe that if this is meant for me to, to happen, it'll happen. I got advice. I got advice from very close friends in the education world. And they told me what I needed to do in terms of preparing for the GREs. And I, I took a course to prepare me. And I remember when I took the course and I found out that I passed and I had the necessary requirement to apply to the program at Rutgers University, and it was in urban health. When I found that out, and when I found out that I got into the program and that I was offered a scholarship, I went and got this tattoo because I never wanted to forget that I was able to do it. And I, I never wanted to forget that when you doubt yourself or when you have those insecurities in your mind, that little, little voice that says, what are you doing? Why do you think you can do this? Like, this is totally impossible. How are you going to pull this off? I wanted that voice to be so small that I couldn't hear it. And I wanted the voice of this tattoo that says, you know, you can do it. You can do it. Mm -hmm. I wanted that to be a louder voice. And that's how I got through it. And so I decided, you know what? I'm going to put this on my wrist, on my right hand. So every time I reach to shake someone's hand or every time I take a pen and write something or read a book or reach for a glass, I can always be reminded of this hurdle, this challenge that I was able to overcome. And through meditating on this Bible verse and helping me to change my thinking and really believing that I could. And so that's the story behind my tattoo. Patty, I love how you, at a really, really difficult time, you saw the big picture. You stepped back. And even though you were having success in all these areas, you kind of took a big picture look at what you would need and what your family would need. And you saw that you needed people, right, to surround yourself with people to support you. And you took great risks too, right? Because you had a very successful organization. And you went ahead and took the risks and moved everything to come to New York to really start all over. Right, yep. You understand that you need affirmations. Mm-hmm. To me, that tattoo on your wrist is an affirmation. It's something that you have to tell yourself every day. Mm -hmm. And to walk in your steps, to walk 
the journey that you have walked is quite impressive. And I want to thank you so much for sharing your heart here. Oh, I'm excited. It's great. It's a reminder for me that even currently facing challenges to remember, you know, that I can do it. And if it's happened before, it can happen again. That's the thing that I've got to remember, you know? I'd love it. Now, Patty, what type of leader are you inspired by and why? I'm really inspired by people who don't just talk about it, but are action oriented, Mm -hmm. you know, like I love it when you never heard of a person, but they're out there doing it. Like that to me is so inspiring, especially in this day and age of social media. We have a lot of opportunities to talk about what we do. But when you're actually doing it, I love it. I'm very team oriented. So I'm inspired when I see people doing what they want to do. So that's an inspiration to me. And it could be anything. It could be a woman that I see on social media that's overweight. And she decided, you know what, I'm going to get up and I'm going to walk. And then like six months later, she is running. And then six months later, she's lost half her body weight. That's very inspiring to me. I mean, I could watch someone on social media post pictures of what they had for lunch all day, but that's not inspiring. But when you see someone get up and actually do it, it's mm-hmm. super inspiring. You know, Oprah Winfrey is another woman who she just gets up, she does it. And, you know, there's so many things that people do like her that are behind the scenes that we may not know, but that's what inspires me. It doesn't have to be a celebrity. It could be, like I said, just a random person. But when I see them doing what they've always wanted to do, that's super inspiring. And someone who's persistent. Yes. So you spoke about being team oriented. What does it mean to have a good team and how do you build or sustain one? I think for me, when I look back at the people that have been a part of my team, it really started off with friendship. There's got to be something that you have in common. And a lot of times it's the passion for Mm. the purpose that you're going after. Mm -hmm. I've been a part of teams where I didn't build a team. Maybe the team was already there and I've been asked to step into a position of leadership and that team was already there. And I have found those are the more difficult teams to continue to wrap yourself around because the loyalty isn't there. The trust isn't there. The friendship isn't there. And the passion isn't there because everyone is there for their own reason. Everyone has their own motive. Mm -hmm. But I find that when I myself am building a team, I look for passion for the purpose. And the friendship actually comes from there. If you're passionate about the purpose, the team will come. For example, there's a woman now that I have been doing business with and she lives in New Jersey, but New Jersey is a huge state. And she lives on the other side of New Jersey. And She and I connected over our passion around hair and health. You know, hair among women of African descent, it's a huge, huge topic, especially on social media. And this woman had a really incredible website. I really loved what she was doing. And I really felt like, wow, I love her passion. And I really feel like I can learn from her. So I think that that's another quality in building a team. And I learned that from Oprah. It's, you know, surround yourself with people who are smarter than you. I remember her saying that once, and I believe that to be true. You surround yourself with people who are smarter than you. They are passionate, but they have this skill that maybe you have no clue about, or they're better at it than you. Pull them into your team. And so this woman, I reached out to her 
And I loved her website. That's her business is helping entrepreneurs socially get their brand across. And so I became her client, but she really became a part of my team. And the interesting thing is we've been working together almost a year now and we've never met. And I think that's just evidence, especially in today's world of technology with the ability, even like you and I, to be able to communicate this way. You know, we can do business and we don't have to meet, but there's a collaborative opportunity that we have because of technology. And so I've never met her, but we have the same passion and she's definitely smarter than me in this particular area. And I knew I needed that value. And so I totally see her as a part of my team. And I think it's great that we haven't met because, you know, it just shows that if you're committed to the purpose, if you're passionate about your purpose, meeting and seeing and knowing is as necessary. I would definitely say that we've become friends, but again, it's through the passion that we're focused on. So most of our listeners are in the education realm and quite often they inherit a team. You know, they may encounter some of the same situations you mentioned. It is important to build relationships to have passion behind a purpose and trust. What could they do to start to build that? The first thing you really have to do is you have to take a step back and first evaluate who you are. Mm. That's a big piece of it. I think we get lost in that. We have to first define and know who we are. And what I mean by that is knowing what your passion is and what you are doing and what you're building and what are your goals? What is your three month goal? What's your second quarter goal? What is your third quarter goal? What is your year end goal? What are you planning to build? Because before you can connect with people, you have to first connect with your personal vision, your personal goal, your personal passion. And then once you are solid on that, then you can go into building a team of people. So I think for me, what that means, for example, is, you know, I took time to figure out, okay, what do I want? I'm building this initiative. It's called Curls on the Move. Mm -hmm. It's a program that infuses hair and health education for women and girls of color. So I knew that that's what I wanted. I knew the full goal was I need to build a curriculum. I need to build an audience. I need to build a group of educators that are willing to be thought leaders with me. So I think a lot of it involved first taking a step back and figuring out, okay, who am I and what do I want to build? Then I was able to look at what my needs are. That's another piece of it. But then you have to think about, okay, you figured out your strengths you got to know your weaknesses too. And who do you know that will be able to support you, that will be able to provide those strengths that you may have as weaknesses? Mm. I think that's a big part of it is being humble and recognizing where you may be lacking. So for example, for me, it was social media. I feel like I know a lot about social media and I've managed to build an audience, but it's not my primary focus. My focus is my curriculum and building multicultural health programs for populations at risk. I'm not a social media marketer. So I thought, you know, I need a social media marketer, but I need someone whose focus is the same as mine, who believes in this type of program and who's on the same path to building their own business in terms of having that entrepreneurial spirit, who is involved 
in the world of hair and health and understands what I'm trying to build. And so I think even in education, you know, I have many friends that are principals or assistant principals and also health educators and physical education educators. And, you know, I knew that I wanted their expertise. I wanted their input. I wanted them to look at my curriculum and I wanted them to be a part of my team. And so it is about recognizing their strengths and what they've managed to build. And it's making that connection. I think that's the first step. I love, especially those two questions, because we don't tend to think about this. Who am I and what do I want? You're spot on. I had a conversation with Dr. Anael Alston, and we talked about these two questions. I think he was interviewing someone and he asked them, who are you? And they couldn't respond to that. Even at a high level position in education, oftentimes we don't focus on this. Who am I and what do I want? You've really hit some key questions that we need to be asking ourselves so that we can move forward in what we're trying to build. Absolutely. Hey, leaders, stay tuned for the rest of the interview following this brief message. Let's talk about the leadership game. Here are some of the things that you and your team will experience while playing. Team building, using a fun and engaging tool. The leadership game is a board game that allows everyone to gather around the table. Open sharing and communication. Every question and discussion card is designed to trigger open, honest feedback. Leadership skills assessment. The game challenges your team members to embrace who they are as leaders and stronger relationships. By the end of the game, team members will learn to appreciate one another and forge stronger relationships, a winning edge for any organization. So go to masterleadership.org forward slash TLG and find out how to bring the leadership game to your organization. Now, Patty, what's the best advice you've ever received? The best advice I've ever received was really simple. It was just two words. It's do you. And the reason is because, you know, when you look at health and education, that market is completely saturated. There are so many people out there in health and there are so many people involved in education. Even as you mentioned, Dr. Anel, I know him. Yeah, he went to high school with my sister. So we're- Oh, shout out to Anel. Yes. Hello. <laughs> Congratulations on your recent promotion now. That's exciting. You know, he's another inspiration that's from the streets of Brooklyn and here we are. But I would have to say that, you know, there are so many education leaders, especially now, there's just so many different facets of education and in health. I mean, if you go online, I'm sure health and beauty, it's just probably the most popular YouTube videos, website videos. And so I remember feeling like, wow, how am I going to make a dent in this industry? It is so saturated. So many people are here doing health and doing education. And how can I really be a leader? How can I really grow when the competition is amazing? And in different ways, I've heard this said by people in my life in different Mm -hmm. words. It's really do you, that no one can put a stamp on it like you can. There's only one you. And the way you frame that health initiative or the way you frame that curriculum, no one else can do it like you because there's only one you. And so if you do what moves you, if you do 
what motivates you, if you do what lights you up, then that is what will make you different. That is what will set you apart. That is what will define your leadership and how it's different from someone else. And so that has been the best advice that I've gotten. And I always go back to Oprah. (laughs) She's a mentor in my head. I have actually met her when I was in South Africa. We did a project together with Hope Worldwide. I remember she gave my daughter a doll and my daughter calls it Oprah baby. She still has it to this day. And I have a picture of Oprah and I on my desk. I know she doesn't remember who I am, but that's okay. But in my mind, you know, she and many others are mentors in my head. And I remember when she gave the speech at the Golden Globes that went viral. In different words, it was the same message of just do you, to be true to yourself and to listen to that inner voice. Those are the quotes or those are the affirmations that really helped me and that has really shaped my life and how I think to not take what someone else is doing but to just focus on what you want to do. And that will really set you apart from everyone else. And so to do you, because as they say, everyone else is already taken. So just, (laughs) and nobody can do you like you do you. (laughs) Exactly. Keep focused on your own personal passion Mm -hmm. and to not get that vision confused. Because I think that's another area that I feel we overlooked. Sometimes we have a vision But then as we try to work our vision, others may come in to share their opinion, give their criticism, good or maybe negative, or maybe because they've known you for a long time and maybe they're older, they've done it before, they want to give you their little perspective. I think that is a very interesting place to be because it really tests you to figure out, you know, who are you and are you going to allow this criticism to shape your vision? Are you going to continue to stay true to what you originally wanted to do? And so I think it's something that's helped me get through the challenges. And I think it's something that if you really listen, I find that many leaders say the same message, but in different ways. Like actually, I remember now what Oprah said at the Golden Globe. She said, what I know for sure is that speaking your truth is the most powerful tool we all have. Hmm. And so for me, that's the same as saying, you know, do you listen to what you want to do, do what motivates you, what is true to you. And that there's only one you. So no one else can do that program. Even though the health industry is saturated, no one else can do it the way you do it. That's what I would say is the message that has really shaped and motivated me in my leadership those two simple words, but yet they mean so much to you. And, you know, also for someone who's a servant leader like you, it's important that you take care of you as well. And so for the servant leaders that are out there who always give, 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 it's important to do you. Yep. To not forget that in your service, you still need to take care of yourself so that you can meet your responsibilities. Because in education, sometimes we forget that. Absolutely. In fact, that's a part of my platform, stress reduction. And it is something that I really believe in. I post a lot about that. I write about that. In fact, I'm planning a workshop coming up for educators and clinicians suffering from burnout, teaching them how to address stress. I did a workshop for school nurses and educators, teaching them to de-stress and relax. It's very important to put some time in every day, for self-care. Absolutely. You can't pour from an empty cup. Mm. 
my Move It Nation website, moveitnation.org, has all of my school programs and also it's really a great resource for educators, for health educators, for school nurses, health providers, working with youth, particularly urban youth of color. And my personal website, my name, pattyobrienrichardson.com, patty with an I, O'Brien, O-B-R-I-E-N, richardson.com. That's where you can find out more information about my workshop for educators and health providers in schools to prevent burnout. Great. Thank you, Patty. All right. So many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners. What does that mean to you? And what are you learning now? Wow. That's a great question because I am a lifelong learner. I went back to school after putting my children first. My children were almost teenagers. I had four. The triplets were middle schoolers and I had a high schooler when I was in school finishing up my PhD. So I definitely agree with being a lifelong learner. And what it means to me is, again, it's never giving up on your goals, never giving up on your dreams. And regardless of where life takes you, to continue to live out that dream you originally had with passion. What am I learning now? You know, interestingly enough, when I went through the process of getting my PhD, it was so amazing. At the same time, I was in a top leadership position of a organization, not my own, but another one. It was an interim position and it was a very stressful position. And I actually was doing that at the same time as I was finishing up my PhD. Mm. And, and raising children and raising and running a business. Right. <laughs> and having, being, having a husband and yes. being married. So, um, cause I remarried. That's another topic. So I really feel like what helped me during that time was focusing on self-care, meditation, eating mindfully, and going for walks. That was one of the things I did. And so when I finished my PhD, I decided, you know, I want to take this meditation deeper. It helped me so much. It helped me get through the stressful time. So even though I had just finished five solid years of graduate school, I really saw the need to get deeper and learn more about movement and meditation. And I really felt that that would also help me in my programs, such as my Curls on the Move program for girls. Right. And so I decided to enroll in a yoga and meditation. And so even though I've had five years of school, I went back (laughs) and got a yoga certification. (laughs) I have to say, you're just badass. (laughs) I don't know. Okay, I go yoga. You know, I have a bunch of DVDs. I put it on YouTube. I have people that I follow. I love that I do the movement. But, you know, I wanted to get deeper. I felt, you know, I want to be able to pour some of this into my classes and into my workshops and what I do with young adults. And so going back and getting the yoga and meditation certification has transformed how I think personally. I do yoga with my kids. I've done it with my husband. I'm teaching my parents to do chair yoga as a way of addressing stress. And with the educators and the school health staff, it's more meditation and mindfulness, breathing, de-stressing strategies. I'm learning to apply what I've done with my yoga and meditation certification. And I'm pouring that into my workshops with educators. Then also, I'm seeing that there's a very strong link 
between meditation, slowing down movement and breathing, and also dealing with traumatic childhood experiences. And so in my work with young women in urban areas, I'm also teaching them meditation and ways of breathing to help them de-stress and cope with some of the trauma and just some of the toxic stress that's around us. Mm -hmm. Um, Even politically, there's a higher degree of stress because of where we are in our country with different situations that's happening. Mm -hmm. The change in our education system that's constantly changes. There are so many reasons to be stressed. And so I talk a lot about that with my clients and with my students. So for me, that's what it means to be a lifelong learner. It's never giving up that dream, you know, going back for that degree, but it's also seeing, you know, what are some areas of your life that benefited from you just learning more and getting deeper. And so for me, I went back for the yoga certification and the meditation because I wanted to get deeper and I wanted to be able to pour that into the people that I work with. Because let's face it, educators, they have a big job. And a lot of times it's a thankless job. And so I wanted them to be able to get the benefits because I know that that's how I was able to get through the challenging time that I went through. Hmm. Patty, I love your heart. Through all this and everything that you just mentioned, I keep hearing how you do things because you want to serve others, like even taking on this yoga. Yeah, you did it for you, but you also thought about how to pour into other people. So I want to honor you because that's awesome. That's a great leader to follow, a great leader to imitate. So thank you so much for all you do. Thank you. So let's switch gears a little bit here. This is a doozy. Okay. If there was something you could change in education, what would that be? Two things. The idea that you have to go to school where you live is really based around finances. It's based around socioeconomic status. For centuries in our country, it's actually been a product of structural violence. And there are these policies that have been built that have actually done more harm than good. And so that's something that I would change. You know, the ability to go to a school based on your ability should be the norm. It shouldn't be regulated to where you live because whether you're wealthy or living in poverty, opportunities should still exist to both. And I know people who are in New Jersey and other places I've lived who are from wealthy backgrounds. They live in an incredible, high affluent type of a neighborhood. And even though the schools are excellent, they have chosen to have other options for their schooling for their children. Some of them actually even homeschool. Mm. Then I know that there are families that live in maybe underserved communities and they have no choice but to send their children to schools that are low performing, even though the child might have the ability to go to a different school. So I think where you live should not determine where you go to school. And that's something I would love to see change. I think really quickly, the other thing I would love to see change is that those that are in power and leadership of education should be former educators. That is important because until you have actually walked in the shoes of an educator, and you're able to see what they are up against Mm -hmm. and to listen to the children, give the high fives, give the hugs, squeeze the cheeks, pat them on the back and look them in the eye, talk to that parent, stay late, spend your own money on supplies. 
it's really, I think, morally wrong to make decisions for educators and you've never been in that position. Hmm. I think those that have walked the walk should be in that position. And I think they can add more value to that role for those that are in that position, starting with salary. It is another conversation for another day, but that is what I think. If those that are in the position of policy changes, if they were an educator making what some first-year teachers make, and then they moved from there and went into policy, I'm pretty sure that that's the first thing they would change is change that salary policy. Because it's not right that someone who's really building the future of America should have to get paid so little. Well said. Thank you so much, Patty. Now, Patty, what have you read, watched, or listened to that our listeners should as well? I'm a big fan of the New York Times. I have the app. I get quick emails. I'm not able to catch every article, but I think what I really like about the New York Times is they have the sections for educators, health. They have different sections, and I love that I subscribe to getting the morning highlights and also the evening highlights. If I can start my morning, I go, oh, these are the top five things you need to know. That's great. And then also in the evening, here are some things that happened today. That is huge. I think it's important to stay abreast. It's important to be current. And many of these things are shaping education. And there are also topics that our children, if you are an educator, you should point them to being aware of and having these conversations around some of these topics, they need to know, especially if they're in college and they're the age to vote, or if they're in high school and they're about to become close to the age to vote, they should be familiar with these topics. So I think that these are things that could enhance our content as we're talking to our students, but also it's important to stay abreast. In terms of other types of books, I'm reading lots of books on mindfulness and That is something that I think is very important. There's a great book, it's called Mindset. So I think that that's probably the book that I've read most recently that has changed the way I think, even with teaching Mm -hmm. and even about myself, because sometimes you can think, oh, I'm too old for this, or I've done this already. You start to defeat yourself in your mind before you've even begun the journey. Even in teaching, you come across students that might have this mindset. They might feel defeated. They might think, oh, I can't, I don't know if I can go to college. No one in my family has ever gone. Or I don't know if I can go to grad school. No one in my family has ever gone. I don't know if I can open my own business. I don't know anyone that's done that. I don't know if I can buy a home. And so we start to blow our minds away negatively instead of building our minds up. And so Mindset by Carol DeWick is one book that has really helped me. And then there is, the Bible is the book that I think I read more than anything, mostly on my phone with an app. And on your wrist. And on my wrist, right? (laughs) Wonderful. Now, Patty, you have a lot of responsibilities. What do you do on a daily basis to set your mind? I start off with prayer. I know I'm going back to the spiritual, but that's who I am. Mm -hmm. And as I'm laying in bed, I'm thinking gratitude. You know, thank you that I can move. Thank you that I can get up. Thank you that I'm in my right mind. Thank you that I have a purpose. So it's spending some time by myself. Some people might consider it meditation. Some people might consider it taking a moment to have some quiet breathing and thinking through their day. But that is something that I do every day. 
The other thing I think helps me is I'm a bit of a planner. Mm -hmm. I am a big fan of the passion planner. There are many different planners out there, mm -hmm. but I have fallen in love with the passion planner. You can go online and find it. I like it because I like to see my whole week at a glance. I get overwhelmed by looking at a year and I get overwhelmed by looking at a month. Right. I can tackle a week mm -hmm. and I like to plan out my weeks the week before and I know what's going on. I do have four children. They're all teenagers and they're triplets among them. And then I have one of my daughters, she's graduating. Mm -hmm. So they have their own lives that have nothing to do with my professional life. So I have to make sure that I am at my daughter's track meet, that I'm spending time with my daughter. I call it special time. It's just time with them, that one daughter. And it might be even just two hours, but we might go for a walk. We might go to a movie. We might go to get our nails done together. That is important for me to have an individual time with each of my girls. That's important to me is to be able to write that down in my passion planner. Like, oh, okay. And they know this week I'm taking this daughter and we're going. And, you know, I have a daughter, I have to go find her prom dress. So that's a big deal. So I think if I didn't have a place to put that down, that would be insanity. So I would say, you know, get a planner. And not everybody likes to write things down. I tried the digital version. I have an iPhone. I have a Mac. I have an iPad. But, you know, for me, it's going back to the basics. I understand from being an educator that writing is thinking. Mm -hmm. And I teach my students that, you know, if you don't know what to write about, just brainstorm and write out those thoughts that come to your mind. And then take a step back, look at them and see if you see any connections that are similar and group them together. And before you know it, you'll have topics or paragraphs that you can write about. And so I believe that writing is thinking. And so for me, it was, this was my first year using a writing planner. And I've gone back to doing that because when I start writing, it does help me. I think, okay, what am I eating this week? What am I going to cook for dinner this week? When am I going to work out this week? What topics am I going to talk about in my classes this week. And of course, it's, you know, finding time to exercise. I go to the gym sometimes. If I can't get out, I'll do yoga or I also have a spinning bike. So I have no excuse. It's moving. It's spending some time by myself before I start my day in prayer. And it's planning. Great. Thank you. If you were to go back in time, what advice would you give the younger you about leadership? Yes, that's a great question. The thing I would probably say would be to not think twice, just do it. Just do it because sometimes when you think too much about something, you think yourself out of doing it. <laughs> <laughs> the paralysis of analysis. <laughs> yeah, and so, you know, I thought about doing this curriculum to help girls to take care of their hair while they're working out because among African-American women and girls, I would say hair has special meaning for most people and for many women, whatever the race. Mm -hmm. But for women of African descent, there is this connection to their hair. And it's so strong that recently, when you look online and you look in research and even on blogs, some Black women choose to not exercise because of their hair, because of the time and money that it takes to get their hair styled a certain way. They refuse to get it messed up with sweat and working out. So I created this curriculum, more like an intervention, to teach young girls to not make that an excuse, but there are ways to take care of your hair that you can still exercise. 
but I have to say, I probably thought about that longer than I should have. So I would say to just not overthink it, to just do it. Write that book, go on that walk, have that dessert, just take the changes, take that opportunity. Sometimes we might see a, a posting for a position or we might see an opportunity for promotion, or we might even want to start our own business, break away from the quote unquote rat race and really have a life change of not being an employee, but being an employer. And we might hear that voice in our head that says, don't do it. What are you doing? I would say to myself, just seize the moment. Just do it. My dad, he's going to be 85 next week. He always says to me, live with passion. And so that's what I would say to my younger self. I would say, you know what? Live with passion and to just do it like Nike says. So that's what I would say. <laughs> I love it. And you are, you are doing it. You are seizing the moment and you certainly are living with passion. I appreciate it. Now, is there anything else you'd like to share? You know, sometimes our world is so focused on social media and on just connecting through the internet almost too much. I would say to find some time to unplug mm. and disconnect. That should be a hashtag, really, to unplug and disconnect. <laughs> Maybe I'll start that. I don't know. But they'd have to look at the technology to see it. <laughs> That's right. That's okay. So then don't do that. But yeah, I would say find some time, spend time with yourself. And some of the things we talked about earlier do you find some time to figure out who you are? What do you really want? Where do you see yourself? What's your vision? And I believe that that really does happen by spending time by yourself and not listening to the little voice or even the negative voices that might be saying, you're wasting time with this. What are you doing? Figuring out where do you want to be and to start to live that way. Hmm. Patty, that's great advice. And I want to thank you so much for adding value to me and to our listeners. Thank you for this program, Lily. I appreciate that. It's such a great idea. You know, the Master Leadership Podcast, it's a great way to, you know, be reminded and to reflect on my values. So thank you. I hope that it helps your guests and your listeners. And thank you so much for the opportunity. And it was such a pleasure. It was a pleasure. And it's great to reconnect, Patty. Have an amazing day. Thank you. You too, Lily. Bye. Bye. In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time, continue to ignite that leader in you.